Well, I'm already. Oh, right. Yeah, so am I. I'm sitting here waiting for you oh, to good. start talking, you nerd. <laughs> Fair enough. Right then. <clears throat> Scouse? My idea was it to build Liverpool into a bastion of invincibility, you know, like... Napoleon had that idea, he would conquer the bloody world. And now, live from space, the 200% podcast with Football365 Ian King and Edward Carter. Podcast number 318. What about it? 318. Oh, right. Of course. If only there were somehow there had ever been a football match with an attendance of 318. Well, I think there's a good chance that there will have been. One would hope so. (laughs) Otherwise, you're going to have to get very good at tap dancing very quickly. Yeah, you're quite right, actually. Um, Right. I'm just sorry. I'm just trying to find a date. Because this one's recent. Um, Saturday the 6th of November. Well, that's very recent. 2021. The Southern League Premier Division South. Well. uh, Walton Casuals 2, Pool Town 4. Well, that will teach Walton Casuals to be so casual about it, I guess. Well, hold on a minute there. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Because all four... Of Paul Town's goals were scored by Tony James Lee. Okay. It gets better even than that because three of them were penalties. Oh, wow. A hat trick of penalties. Who ever heard of such a thing? I mean, I'm sure it has happened before. That's a special day. But uh, yeah. Somebody just gives you a hat trick for your birthday. Yeah, he scored after 10 minutes, 18 minutes, 69 minutes. Wee-hee. Nice. And 70 minutes. Two penalties in the first 18 minutes. And then the last one was as well. They must have not liked something about the cut of his jib. Well, I mean, this game was only a couple of weeks ago. I'm assuming it will be on YouTube somewhere. So many non-league clubs have their um, have their highlights on, uh, on, on YouTube. They these do. Days. I'm going to have a, I'm gonna have a quick Google and see if I can... Oh, my God. I open up YouTube... And the first recommendation for me is Neil Warnock screams, Lino! <laughs> yeah, I've seen that one. I wonder if yeah, my I... microphone will pick it up. 
Oh, no, because it's through my headphones, isn't it? Oh, God, what an idiot. <laughs> Can see that the the added layer to this is that it just took me about 20 minutes to get my bluetooth headphones to connect well you know don't let light in on magic yeah well, the thing is something something happened to my laptop with the great battery disaster of a couple of weeks ago which incidentally coincided with this match which which coincided with this match yeah it was on that day wasn't it it was the same day that I fixed it because it was the day before the St Albans FA Cup match Oh, oh, that yeah, was yeah, Sunday yeah, the 7th yeah, and it was Saturday yeah. the, it was the day before that Saturday the 6th that I fixed the laptop because I sat down with it and I was like right this is it's now or never if I don't fix this at this go at fixing it, then I'm buying a new one. Yep. And uh, and I fixed it somehow. Ooh. There you yeah. go, you see? Kinda. Truro City have got a player called Czech Diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at those Southern League results. They won 3-1 away to Merthyr Town. And oh, Czech Diabetes, Czech spelled C-H-E-I-C-K. Oh god! And diabetes is—I mean, that's how I'm pronouncing it. It's diabetes without the S on the end. It's a, a single diabetes. I thought I would have yeah. assumed that would be a diabeter. His urine tests are always interesting at the end yeah. of the game. Maybe they a, smell like pear drops. Yeah, maybe a diabetum. That was some what. top quality diabetes content for any of our insulin impaired listeners. There. Anyway, this week. On the ever-combustible and relevant 200% podcast, we are going to discuss Bruce Grobbler. Yeah. He cut out last week's podcast, my realisation that if we did a podcast about Bruce Grobbler, we could call it Grobblecast with two A's. And all of that was was cut out. I left. I did. I left swathes of it because I thought it was actually such an interesting area of discussion that we should probably do it this week. I, I should have. What I should have done is kept it, and then we only would have had to do twenty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> leave that. Leave all that in, and then just uh, yeah, just clip on another bit. Before we get to Bruce Grobbler, though, I, I thought we should probably um, allow a period for AOB. Uh, there obviously been some tumultuous times. There has been the, SOB hasn't in there? the football, yeah. um, and I, I uh, while I'm loath to get too deep into it because I think every other football podcast will be providing their own excellent coverage of all of these events. It would yeah. be remiss of us not for you to at least unburden yourself of a few hot takes. Well, yeah, I mean, hot tamales. Yeah, he is no longer at the wheel. The wheel Ollie, has been wrested from him. Ollie has had the wheel crowbarred from his yeah. death-like vice grip, surgically removed. Yep. Yeah, they had to get the fire brigade in. I, I have absolutely no inkling of of what happens next. Well, the beauty of it is, I suspect nobody involved in the firing of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer knows what happens next either. So we're all going to find out at the same pace. <laughs> they certainly don't know at the moment. I I watched the whole of the Watford Manchester United match, and I put it to you 
that that was a low. That was as bad as they've been in the entire eight and a half years since uh, Alex Ferguson called it a day. There's no doubt about that in my mind. It was pretty aimless. They were abysmal. They were terrible. And the thing is that I strongly suspect, I strongly suspect that had uh, Watford not scored those two injury time goals, he would still be in a job. Um, Um, Because a 2-1 loss at Watford where you've pulled one back, maybe given it a go right to the end. Ben Foster made a good save, didn't he, just after um, De Beek scored. And so that's a result that could maybe be passed off as something else. But when it's 4-1 at Watford, it's game, set and match, isn't it? It's, it is, it's, really. It's over. This, 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 this ship has run its course. Yeah. The only benefit of a result like that is that all the Man United fans won't have far to go home. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 that old chestnut. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, there, there was, there's just no papering over it. And you're right to mention the people that sacked him because those people need to be sacked as well. The problem is that that can't be done. You know, they continue to run it very successfully as a business. Yeah, there's no denying the efficacy of Manchester United PLC. Yeah, I mean, it was very interesting that there was this kind of interregnum where they kind of announced it but kind of didn't because it wasn't official because they didn't they weren't certain whether they had to report it to the New York Stock Exchange which would have meant that they couldn't have actually sacked him until Monday morning but I think the conclusion that was reached was do you know what fuck it we're doing it anyway yeah I I, I just find myself wondering what they thought was going to change over the last month because if they'd done this a month ago they'd have got Conte and they'd probably be back in the top four in the Premier League by now well we are in the beautiful position now that every manager that wants to manage in the Premier League is going to be managing in the Premier League but they're all going to be at the team they didn't want to be managing and I think there's something quite beautiful in that. Yeah, I mean, it looks like... Uh, I, I, I mean, I have no reason to doubt the comments about uh, Pochettino. It's quite clear that he's interested in the Manchester United job. And would you really get unhappy about that or angry about it? it? It kind of seems weird to me. I think some Spurs supporters are quite upset about it. But, you know, job's a job, isn't it? At the end of the day. At the end of the day, yeah. I'm less convinced about Zidane going to PSG. Because if there's two things that Zidane is, he's A, Real Madrid, and B, Marseille. Very true. Yeah. I know that his wife apparently has been on about him about the weather in London, in, in, in Manchester, and she doesn't really... Uh, there's I've heard it said that she doesn't really want to move to England, which, you know... 
I get that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we all we're all sympathetic with Mrs. Zidane. Yeah, and that she'd rather probably live in Paris. So she'd rather live inside the festering open sore of an elephant's arsehole. Yeah. So does you know does he not give a fuck about where he goes? Because he would have to not give a fuck about where he goes to go to PSG, considering you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. The other stuff. Or is his wife going to give him a damn good smack him with a rolling pin? If um, so possible. If if he if he decides not to go to Paris, who who knows? It's a delightful psychodrama. It's an interesting it's, it's an interesting subplot. I'll say that much. It's an interesting subplot. And um I mean I I was writing about it this morning and I was writing about it uh, yesterday as well. And yesterday it wasn't too bad. Because it was like, yeah, they've sacked Solskjaer. That's where the story was up to. They've sacked Solskjaer. By this morning, though, I was refreshing. Um, We had, like, the the PA newswire. They were coming through different, different people being connected with it. Like, every... 10 or 15 minutes. I've got to draw a line in the sand here somewhere. I can't just keep going back and going, oh yeah, and then there's, you know, so I, yeah. I had Whoa. a kind of list of five or whatever. I mean, I, I think that for United, the optimal position would be Laurent Blanc until the end of the season and then Pochettino afterwards. Although I do suspect that if Blanc wanted the job, he'd probably want it permanently. Not sold on the idea of Steve Bruce. I assume that people are joking about that. Solely joking I hope, about I, it. I really, really I hope mean, not. It would be interesting. It would be... Oh, it, would it? it? Let's, you know, it would be an interesting experiment for football to put one of these real journeyman managers... Yeah. Into a massive club. Sam Allardyce often used to say that he could do a good job at one of these big clubs. We've got the perfect opportunity. Yeah. He already likes to drink wine by the pint. That is true, yeah. It, I just so, it, you know. I just find it such a strange way of doing things. Because they seem to... After all of this, after everything that's happened, after this repeatedly, like, we've got full faith in, in in the manager, you know, oh yeah, absolutely, you know, we're serious about this, blah, blah, blah. He's at the wheel. After all of that, they just lose their shit and sack him. And there doesn't seem to be any particular plan in place <laughs> to succeed him. You know, it's like no, when no. the Mansours took over at Manchester City in what, September 2008, they put a holding manager in place, they then upgraded him, but all that time, certainly from about 2010, 2011, it was all about setting this up for Guardiola. The whole project was basically done to say, look, we've built your perfect football club. Yeah. You know, we've designed this kind of for you. And yeah. the thing is that Pep, who is a man who in the past has talked about wanting to take a break, and he did move around a bit. Has I don't think that many people really expected him to stick it out this long. And for all his talk about, oh, I might like 
to manage an international team or, you know, perhaps um, I'll just take a couple of years out and go and live in Andorra or whatever. He doesn't seem to be going anywhere. He He says this every kind of year or two, but he doesn't seem... To be going anywhere, and I don't, I don't think, I think he will probably sign another contract extension. But you know, why would he go anywhere else? Well, you know, why, why would he want? I to? mean, certainly. When you see the state of some other clubs, you do wonder. You know, and, and and nowadays, of course, you win the Champions League once, but that's all well and good. But if you want to get to be the European greats that you presume yourselves to be, then you've got to win that thing three or four times. Earlier today, you were expounding upon the long-standing 200% podcast managerial merry-go-round system. Yes. Which espouses that you can sack your manager whenever you like, but the manager you have to take is Gary Megson. Yeah, well, you know... And then it's a sort of, you know, it's a a scotch-up system. Whichever is the manager that is then the free one becomes the one that everybody has to take on. Yeah, say say Ole gets the sack and he's the first one. Who, who was the first Premier League manager to get sacked this well, season? Well, if you were to apply this to this season's exciting Premier League, yeah. the current managerial status would be as follows. Gary Megson would be at Watford. Okay. Zisco would be at Newcastle. Yeah. Steve Bruce would be at Spurs. Nuno will be at Norwich, Daniel Farker will be at the Villa, and Dean Smith will be at Manchester United. Yeah. So, next up in the musical chairs would be Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, of course, that one or two of those wouldn't have happened in the first place, would they? Well, no, yeah. well, no, not under the system because I mean, for a start, you're loath to sack the manager when you've got to take Gary Megson anyway. And also, from a from a Spurs perspective here, if you knew that the alternative, well, if you knew that this was the setup, you wouldn't have hired Nuno <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> no, no, you'd have. No, you would definitely. You were, there was not... definitely an element of gamble to his appointment, and everyone was aware of it. They'd have, they'd have chucked like just pots of cash at somebody. I think that our system very much uh, does away with that sort of trigger happy, zero consequences approach that people take. It would actually make you stop and think, and it could actually lead to some very interesting tactical. Traffic jams, where everyone is just waiting for somebody to sack their manager so that they can get the shit, whichever shitty one is top of the pile yeah. off. And then, who knows? Who knows how many steps would need to uh, fall before you ended up with Pep? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? I don't know. You know, it works for me. It works for me. Maybe because the clubs would probably complain. Maybe you could have a pool of two or three. Well, yeah, you I mean, could have I, Gary Megson, Neil Warnock, yeah. and just yeah. Tony Pulis. There you well, go. Right now, how many people are, are, are currently out of work? Mick McCarthy is out of work. Sam Allardyce. These are all big names in British. They football, are big names, but I think that they're all eager to get back in. But I think that what we're seeing here is a generational switch, because Sam Allardyce, Mick McCarthy, who was the other one you mentioned. Um, well, Neil Warnock, Tony, Tony Pulis. I think they're all over 60 years old. Steve Bruce has got to be under 60. Um, 
Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, Steve Bruce is 60. Oh, well, well done, Steve Until Bruce. Until New Year's Eve. Birthdays on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Just like Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Look, <laughs> that's a, that sounds to me like grounds to hire him as the next Manchester United manager. I'm just pointing they out took, an interesting... They took Ole because um, he did a goal in a cup final 22 years ago. So, you know, if they'll yeah, take that, they'll yeah. take somebody with the same date of birth as Alex Ferguson. Yeah, and they know each other. It's not like he's even a stranger to them. Yeah, what a thought, what a thought. Anyway... <laughs> Forget about uh, the, the the exciting and thrusting world of the future in which we live in. Uh, we want to talk about a more grotty time when Britain was absolutely on its ass. if you can imagine such a thing. Uh, yeah. 1981. Yes. 40 years ago, it saw the capture of the Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah. The attempted assassination of both the American president and the Pope. Yeah. Widespread rioting across the UK. Yeah. An attempted coup d'etat in Spain. The marriage of Prince Charles to Lady Diana Spencer. Death of Bobby Sands. Yeah. On the day that Bruce Grobelar signed for Liverpool, the 17th of March, 1981, was the day that it was discovered that Italy was being secretly run by a mysterious Masonic organisation called Propaganda Due. Yeah. (laughs) And we've mentioned the sad demise of Bobby Sands. There were a number of of things born in 1981. Paintball. Okay, right, yeah. MTV. Okay. Donkey Kong. Yeah. Meghan, Duchess of Sussex. Yeah. Roger Federer. Right. And... Possibly in darker news, both crack, cocaine and AIDS. Oh, right. Okay. So that's that's where we were at in 1981. Ian Botham won the Ashes. Yeah. I mean, 1981 was a really bleak year. <laughs> the, but the thing is, of course, that I was nine. So yeah. none of that really registered. Yeah, I mean, how bleak you know, can it yeah, be? Yeah, life was great. I was nine. Of course it was great, you know. So, whilst I remember a lot of those things, I was interested in your list of things that were born in 1981. I played Donkey Kong in the last seven days. In fact, probably in about the last three days. I played it at some point, either the end of last week or the weekend. Well, I can imagine. You see, Donkey Kong has persisted in a way that MTV and Paintball haven't well no my um, uh, one of my kids asked me is um they were playing super mario brothers on the snes and they were like 
is this the first Mario Brothers game? And I was like, well, yeah, but he was in something before that. And so they asked to see that, so I put it on. I got onto the second level as well, you know. It's interesting that both Crack and AIDS have persisted. There's no no stopping them. Well, I mean, AIDS is treatable now, isn't it? It's not... They're both they're both very Moorish. Yeah, it's not the it's not the death sentence that it was considered to be in 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 the you know by the mid nineteen eighties. So, crack still is. Oh boy, yeah, crack, crack still is. Um, (laughs) Stay off the crack. But as I say, seventeenth of March, yeah, nineteen eighty one is the day that Bruce Grobbler signed for Liverpool, number one in the UK that day. Go on. Jealous Guy by Roxy Music. I'm definitely more in favour of Eno Roxy than Ferry Ferry Roxy. Obviously. I mean, who isn't? Here we are then. We're in this stage where Liverpool have just signed a... Second choice goalkeeper. He cost two hundred and fifty thousand mm. pounds from Vancouver Whitecaps in Canada. An unusual choice. Well, the circumstances surrounding him ending up as a pro are very strange, aren't they? He was playing for Vancouver Whitecaps, and obviously this was in the North American Soccer League, which was just about to fail. But because in the off-season, he went and played on loan for Crew. Yeah. West Brom tried to sign him, but they couldn't get his um, visa and so forth sorted out. Well, yeah, because he wouldn't really have had any international caps or, or many international caps at the time. No, he had one, one um, for Rhodesia at that point. But the story of what happened when Bob Paisley went to see him play it was extraordinary did you uh, yeah he, did you hear, did you... he came out onto the field carrying an umbrella because it was raining yeah uh, whereupon yeah. he then walked on his hands into the yeah. goal area and then jumped onto the crossbar yeah I, I believe Bob Paisley, Bob Paisley just... got up and walked out <laughs> yeah Bob Paisley just walked out but his scouts were very insistent that there was uh, it, it was a very special player and you have to remember of course that at this point crew were in the fourth division and yeah, yeah. It, it, it's such an unusual choice it's an unusual choice for Liverpool to be making because they were the team of the time they won the European Cup that year mm which was Ray Clements' last game for Liverpool. And, of course, Ray Clements had himself come from absolute lower-table obscurity. Well, the thing is that um, uh, Ray Clements went to Spurs uh, that summer. He did. He, in fact, he, he went for 300000 So Yeah, for 300000 They got all of the money back. And, but I think they thought he was past it. That's the thing. Because he was, let me see, 1948. So he was 33 that summer. Yeah. So I think they thought he was past it. And, but I I think Spurs got the, probably got the better end of that bargain at the end of the day, I think. Because Spurs had been notoriously failed to fill the gap 
left by Pat Jennings when he went to Arsenal in nineteen. In a move of outrageous Judas Rui that you can only you can only uh, salute Judas Rui like that. No, I'm 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 all right with it because at the end of the day, Spurs treated him like trash. Mm. They deserved everything they got. Fair enough. I, I, I think there's a rumor that it was about it was a dispute. There was a dispute over a company car. I think. Bear in mind, this wouldn't have been like a diamond encrusted Rolls Royce. It probably would have been like a fucking Ford Escort or something. Lucky to get it. And so yeah, he fucks off to Arsenal. Good luck. And Arsenal got a good ten years out of him. Well, I mean, Spurs got about six or seven years out of Clements. Yeah, and Spurs got yeah. So I've you know, he, he had, I think he was still going. Bruce Grobelar was at Liverpool until 1994. He played eventually 628 times for Liverpool. Mm. And although you feel that maybe Spurs got the better goalkeeper, it is undeniable yeah. that Bruce Grobelar has won six English League Championships, three FA Cups, three League Cups, oh, five yeah. Charity Shields yeah. and the European Cup. Well, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not saying that, you know, that this was some amazing fucking piece of business that made something that quite obviously and plainly didn't happen, happen. I think what I'm saying here is that you quite possibly put a, could have put a chimpanzee in a goalkeeper's shirt in goal for Liverpool for much of the 1980s and they would have run up an, a record not far short of Grobelars. <laughs> um, I want to be clear... And say that in his own way, he is an exceptional goalkeeper. And I cannot begin to tell you how alien he looked. Yeah, yeah. In 1980, it was like his limbs were made of elastic. He had a, a, I mean, he was a little bit short for a goalkeeper, although not necessarily at the time. He was six foot one. Yeah. But his level of athleticism and agility was notable. Goalkeepers didn't walk on their hands, generally speaking. Yeah. I don't think I've seen anything either before or since. Oh, uh, yeah, I would say. I mean... I, that actually, I, actually, I actually don't. He was like a gymnast on the pitch. But, and it's a very big but, it really is a very big but, he was accident-prone like no other top-flight goalkeeper that I've ever seen. Yeah. And... For every three or four or five incredible mis- uh, saves, there would be a mistake. Yeah. And, of course, they started very poorly that season where he yeah. they lost their first game. His his first game was a match at Wolves, which they lost yeah. 1-0. It was also the debuts of Mark Lawrenson and Craig Johnson. Fact fans. Well, I mean, the game the game I really remember was, I think, Boxing Day 1981. And they played Manchester City at Anfield. And the pitch was covered in little circles of sand. Yeah. <laughs> to keep it kind of playable. Because the winter 81-82 was a horrendous... I do winter. remember that winter. It was the last... It was the last white Christmas in this country for years and years and years, or at least for, you know, down here, anyway. And um, they played Man City on Boxing Day. I don't know, I'm a little bit sketchy on the details. I think Man City won 3-1, and I can't remember whether two or all three of their goals were his fault. <laughs> and um, 
that result put Man City top of the league. They've been on an unbeaten run since he, um, since John Bond took and over. And his boy Kevin. And his boy Kevin. Yeah, they've been on a they've been on a spectacular run. And honestly, at that point, I mean, I was what nine December nineteen eighty one. I'd be watching match of the day, just like I don't. What? Why is why? Why did they get? Why did they sell Ray Clements to Spurs and bring this guy in? Yeah, I think I rationalised it to myself at the time as like they usually win the league by so much that um, they're just trying to level it up a bit. Well, I mean, well, of course they weren't even the defending champions. No, but but. After that Boxing Day, after New Year, they got something of a tear on. They took 43 points from their last 50 available points, won the league and won the League Cup against Spurs with Ray Clements. Yeah, I mean, it was just an explosion. It's worth bearing in mind there that the 1981 European Cup win was kind of a bit of an outlier, really, because... Liverpool had only won it in 78. And then they they kind of gone off the boil in 1978 and then won the league in 79 and 80 and then gone completely off the boil again in 1981. I think they finished sixth in 1981. So nobody, you, you weren't, it wasn't the Liverpool machine the same as it was maybe six or seven years later. And there was still an element of in this new decade, who's going to be the team that the teams that dominate? Because it was different in the seventies to in the sixties. It was different to in the sixties to in the fifties. You know, and there was no reason not to think that it would continue to change. Uh, but that second half of that first season of Grobbelars was just like a turbo charge was attached to them or something. It's unbelievable, and it came from almost nowhere. Yeah. Because they hadn't been much good in the first half of the season. I think they were about 10th. They were about mid-table at at Christmas. There's a lesson to be learnt here, if you're listening, Mr. (laughs) Wu-Wa. Well, I mean, you know, this is is true. These these things can happen. I mean, Bruce Grobelar... Well, they call it the the Tommy Tickle effect. Bruce Grobelar was ever-present. For Liverpool from 1981 until 1986, um, and yeah. over the the course of the 1980s, he, he missed out on only that first season, mm. and then about 50 other sundry games through for injuries yeah. and so forth. His understudy was mostly Mike Hooper. Yeah, very famously did the spaghetti legs during the penalty shootout in the 1984 European Cup final. Yeah. I remain on the fence as to whether or not that actually had any effect. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's it's something, it's a nice bit of narrative, isn't it, for the TV cameras? It's a nice bit of narrative, but in all honesty, a pro player has to be hitting the target. And he didn't. He, he, give yeah. it a... he didn't save, but yeah, I mean, you know... Bruce Grobelard didn't save a penalty. No, nope, he merely... In the 1984 European Cup final shootout, he kind of stood there. You can argue amongst yourselves over how much of a difference that made. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, 
I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that Liverpool deserved it for going to Rome and playing Roma in their home stadium. Yeah. You know, I believe the the atmosphere there was unbelievably hostile. Well, you would think so. So if Liverpool can come through that and get to a penalty shootout, then good luck to them if they win that penalty shootout. You know, one thing that we you did want to touch on with Bruce Grobblecast with two A's. Yes. Is the idea of getting the world's greatest ever football scout, hindsight, involved with a little bit of thinking, possibly outside the box, about who else Liverpool could have chosen at that time as their goalkeeper? Yeah, we did a bit of thinking about this. And of course, the problem was that you were getting to the end of a generation. It yeah. was, you know... I mean, Bruce Grobelar the, the, was 23 when he signed. He was 24 later in 1981. So if that that's the sort of player that you're looking for, is somebody, you know, let's say mid to late 20s, who's going to be your goalkeeper yeah. for the rest of the decade. Yeah, I mean, Peter Shilton was... 33. Um, 30, 32, actually. 32. Um, who else? Well, I've was got a there? list of Paul all Coon. the goalkeepers oh, who were the main goalkeepers in the first division that season. Paul Cooper is actually a okay, good go candidate. He was twenty-eight. Okay. The other really good candidates, though, are Gary Bailey, who of course plays for Manchester United. So you can forget about that. Well, yeah, there's there's that. Yeah, and also, of course, his dad also played for Manchester United. So it's not even like he's just turned up there and got a place in the team, there is a sentimental connection. Neville Southall is 23, but of course, plays for Everton. Yeah, that's not going to be happening. One interesting thought, Nigel Spink, uh, 23 Um, years old, understudy to Jimmy Rimmer at the time. No, because he he was just a a reserve team goalkeeper at the time. You've got to bear in mind, these guys didn't make any appearance. There was no place for them on the substitutes bench because there was only one sub at the time. So the only time you ever got to see the substitute goalkeeper was if the first choice goalkeeper was injured or suspended. Goalkeepers who were in the right sort of age range but were getting regular football. Coventry City had Les Seeley, who was 24. Okay, yeah. I I can kind of see that because he ended up at Man United. Chris Turner, 23, also ended up at Man United. Was at Sunderland. Yeah. And yeah. Leeds, who I believe were relegated that season. Uh, they were, yeah. A young charger called John Lukic, 21 years old. Yeah. I mean, again, that's a, I mean, that's a good solid choice, as can be evinced from the fact that he went to Arsenal. So, you What know. about some other goalkeepers from elsewhere in, in Britain? Chris Woods was 22 and played for Norwich City. Yeah. Steve Sherwood, 28, and played for Watford. No, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't have gone anywhere near him. See, Steve Sherwood was playing above himself to be in the first division. Dave Besson was 21, and at Wimbledon. Yeah, in the fourth division at the time, I think. Oh no, actually no, they would have been in the third. 81-82 was the year that in Enfield knocked Wimbledon out of the FA Cup. Pat Bonner, 21, at Celtic. Okay. Jim Layton, 23, at Aberdeen. Yeah. Or, given the fact that they went abroad, technically, they signed him from Vancouver Whitecaps, and he was himself 
a Zimbabwe international. Yeah. How about some of these names? Hans van Brooklyn, okay. the Dutch goalkeeper yeah. who was at that point at FC Utrecht and would sign for Nottingham Forest the next year. Yeah. He would have been a good choice. Yeah. Thomas Ravelli was 22. Yeah. Michel Prudhomme was 22 and at Standard Liège. Yeah. Jean-Marie Pfaff was 28 and not yet signed for Bayern Munich. Uh, Pfaff, he's Belgian, wasn't he? He was Belgian. Yeah. Okay. Harold Schumacher. Yeah. Good old Tony Schumacher. He was 27. It seems unlikely, doesn't it? Stefano Tacconi, later of Juventus, was 24 and playing for Avellino. Mm-hmm. Joel Batts. Was 24, playing for Rosaire. Yeah, I don't think he was the first choice as early as 81. I think it was still Jean-Luc Ettore of um, Monaco was the first choice. If they wanted an African goalkeeper, as they eventually stuck for. Oh, Thomas and Kono. Yeah, Thomas and Kono, 25 years old and currently playing at Canon Yaounda. Yeah, because he played in the 1982 World Cup. And then signed for Espanyol. Okay, the, the name that stands out on that list, out of all of those goalkeepers, as being one that I would consider to be completely realistic and actually probably would have been quite a good bit of business for Liverpool at the time, is uh, Jim Layton. Because I think that if you take it by the standards of 1983, um, then I think that there is a, a reasonable shout at saying that Jim Layton was Britain's best goalkeeper at the time. He was a good goalkeeper, yeah. He was a bit less prone to mistakes than he became. Yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, playing for Aberdeen in that Aberdeen team. Really, really strong team. And I've seen quite a bit of them as well. There's a lot of good Scottish football on YouTube. I recommend it. And um, there's a lot of Aberdeen from that season and the season before and the year they won the league. And... He was excellent, really good, and yep. and I think that that's the that's the one that if I'd been Bob Paisley in the summer of nineteen eighty one, then that would be the one that I'd have gone for. He is an outlier. Go on. It's a bit of business they wouldn't have had to do. Go on. Twenty four years old would go on to become a mainstay in the Premier League throughout the eighties and nineties. Former FA Cup winner. Steve Grizvich, in 1981, was on the books at Liverpool. He was, and I think he played for them as well. He played four games yeah. for Liverpool. Now, the thing is that if you get four games and you don't prove yourself, then you, you haven't proved yourself. I don't think he was quite at the standard. I think he was perfectly fine as a backup, but I don't think he was quite of the standard that they would have wanted as a week-in, week-out first-choice goalkeeper. Do you think it had something to do with the fact that he looked like Rondo Hatton? Um, no. Were, 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 optics, were, were optics a big part of goalkeeping choice back then? Because, I mean, let's face it, Steve Grizovic, a fairly gnarled-looking young man. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, I don't really know what the what the standards were, you know, what 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 they would have been looking for. It certainly would have been completely different to now, <laughs> you know. Absolutely no question about it. I don't think there's another position on the pitch which has changed as much. 
as the goalkeeper. For all of the eccentricities and his proneness to make a mistake, mm. as we've said, Bruce Grobler obviously is part of one of the very few teams that I can name from 1 to 11. They were they were a brilliant team. Yeah. And whether or not he helped that or hindered it, it doesn't actually make any odds. But where the ability to make humorous, some say comical mistakes becomes not so funny anymore is match fixing. There we go. Well, you can't really discuss the Bruce Grobelast story without the old match fixing allegations, can you? Um well The first thing to point out is of course he was acquitted. He was acquitted match fixing um, allegations. He... And he successfully sued the son for libel. He certainly did. Although... Although he was stripped of all of his winnings, awarded a token fee of a pound. Yes. Ordered to pay all of the son's legal costs and was forced to declare bankruptcy. So it was something of a Pyrrhic victory. Yeah, I mean, I I don't But it was a victory nevertheless. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the circumstances are around the reduction of the the amount that was due. As I understand it, it was because although he had been proven not to have been part of match fixing, his behaviour was nevertheless found to be dishonest. Right. And, you know, wanting, morally wanting. Okay. And as such, I, they, I, they didn't feel that he, he it justified an £80,000. I'm not sold on that as a, as a, as something that you should really be basing the, the law around. I mean, if you, if you, Break the law. I mean, that's something you either do or you don't do. You know, I find it very strange that they've. Yeah, but you know, he did it. Yeah, that 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 nudge nudge wink wink sort of thing. Well, should yeah, be I, I think an so. acceptable part of a judicial system. I just find yeah, it, a it bit does strange. seem it, it is a bit strange. And then, to be honest, when you look at the match fixing allegations, it seems to me. That I mean, I think Bruce's Bruce <laughs> Bruce Grobelar's point of view was that this person had come to him and he was stringing him along to see what would happen as yeah. a result of it, rather than actually doing the match fixing. And when you actually look into some of the allegations and the five matches in question, mm. there's a there are a few things that are a bit sus, but what actually comes out is a series of stories where Bruce Grobelar points out that he actually messed it up and accidentally saved this and cost himself that. And, you know, if he'd he'd managed to keep the score at that, he would have got that, rather than I was paid this much and I did this. It was all... He he likened himself to Inspector Clouseau in the whole affair. And I don't think he was a million miles off, if I'm honest. I mean, I yeah, I, I don't know anything like enough about it to comment. 
Well, it comes from, the story goes, it was an old army friend of Bruce Grobelaar called Chris Vincent. Right. And Chris Vincent served with Bruce Grobelaar in the Zimbabwean Civil War. Okay. On, on Ian Smith's side. Um, yeah, yeah. Apropos yeah. of nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, he moved to England in 1989 and the two met up again and became buddies. And then right. they became business partners. Right. And the business in question was they heavily invested in a big game park. Oh, okay. In, right. in Zimbabwe. I like to think it was called Big Bruce's Safari Park with two A's. <laughs> if what, anyone... Safari Park all yeah. with two A's. If anyone is wondering what Chris Vincent and Bruce Grobelaar's big game safari park in Zimbabwe might have sounded like. I have prepared a, 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 an audio clip. Oh, good. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> hear this until it goes out <laughs> ultimately it it proved not to be a success and they were both absolutely rinsed by it well um, i mean I, I should imagine that opening any business in zimbabwe where yeah. the economy has been ruined for decades isn't it well it's going to be difficult yeah a white-owned business by two people who live in another country yeah. Was uh, never uh, never gonna thrive in Mugabe, Zimbabwe really, was it? No, you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't expect it to. But no, it it it, it basically put them both in penury, but of course Bruce Grobelar was slightly better off because he still had his first division professional footballer salary coming in. Oh right. um, so which, there you go. Which <laughs> was not necessarily the highest, which became something of a sore point with him at some point. But Chris Vincent was absolutely skint. And he arrived at the brilliant idea. Mm. And I think he did this independently of Bruce Grobelar. Yeah. Of using the fact that he knew a celebrity, i.e. Bruce Grobelar. Right. To set up an elaborate sting operation and prove that Bruce Grobelar was match fixing and sell it to the sun. What? I, I'm not sure quite <laughs> how sure he was at the beginning of this that Bruce Grobelar 
was involved in match fixing. There was this strange Malaysian businessman, Heng Swan Lim, who Bruce Grobler referred to as the short man. He was the other. He was the other one who was on trial with them, wasn't he? Yeah, he represented yeah. an Asian gambling syndicate, but it was it was him, Hans Sagers, John Fashionu, and Bruce Grobler. It seems yeah. to me like very if they were a gambling syndicate mm. they were the least efficient in the whole history of mankind i think eventually the court was satisfied with lim's account that he had hired sagers and grobelar as match forecasters rather than as match fixers which is okay. of course illegal yeah um there were five Games involved, Liverpool's 3-0 loss to Newcastle in November 1993 being the first. And I, I found highlights of that. And I have to say, some of Bruce, go- Bruce Grobler's goalkeeping in that was very suspect. Okay. All right. And the final one was a 3 all draw with Manchester City uh, with Southampton a year okay. later. Where, of course, Bruce had moved in the intervening period to Southampton Football Club after Mm -hmm. the arrival of David James. Right, Okay. Despite all of these allegations and some very, very troubling matches, I remember people going to watch Southampton play and they would all take handfuls of fivers and just wave them behind his goal. Right, yeah, yeah. To try and induce him into making a mistake. Where, you know, no inducement was really absolutely necessary. Well, I mean, the thing is um, that his career really just kind of tailed off, didn't it? Well, it very much petered out. He was played for the for 15 consecutive matches after the allegations were first published by the Sun newspaper. Yeah. But by the end of the season, he had been packed off to Plymouth. And then the rest of his career basically just looks like a, a holiday camp farewell tour. Yeah, yeah. He signed for Oxford and Sheffield Wednesday, never played a game. A handful of games for Oldham and Chesham. One at Bury, two at Lincoln, one at Northwich Vicks. I remember him being at Chesham briefly. Yeah, because, four games to Chesham United. Well, yeah, because I mean they were in the late same league as St Albans at the time. I don't think he played against them. I don't think. And 32 caps for Zimbabwe in between 1980 and 1998. Yeah. A, a team he's also managed. Yeah, that's a long international career, If if even it if it didn't result in that many caps. Well, he in fact got an international cap in 2018. Uh, he was playing for Matabeleland. And he oh, played, right, yeah. He played he was... 30 minutes. So it was. He's still, you know, putting he in a turn. He was the coach of Matabele Land as well, wasn't he? For a while. Yeah, he has, he has dabbled in, in yeah. coaching. But, uh, and the other thing, of course, you have to mention in relation to Bruce Grobelar is that, I mean, he saw extremely active service. Oh, yeah, he's seen plenty of things. In the military. He did and 11 months, essentially, on the front line in the Zimbabwean Civil War. Yeah, and he also was present 
at both Hillsborough and Heysel. And of course, yeah. on top of all of that, he was the goalkeeper who was in goal right in front of the Leppings Lane. Oh, he was. Yeah, Terrace. yes. He, yeah. I mean, yeah. Bruce Grobler. Bruce Grobler is definitely the Liverpool player who is yeah. liable to be the most scarred by Hillsborough because yeah. of yeah. his proximity to it and the fact that he was the first point of contact for a lot of the people who were escaping the pens. Apparently, his description, the description of it in his autobiography is harrowing. I have not read it. <laughs> I've read uh, I've read some snippets of it today, and it, it it was actually a very harrowing account, as you would expect. Well, yeah, yeah, it was a very harrowing affair. But as 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 you rightly point out, Bruce Grobler has seen things. He has, yeah, he he's has. probably of all of the professional footballers of our time. Mm. He's probably the one who's seen the most things, unless, of course, obviously, the possible exception of any of the players who came from the former Yugoslavia. Yeah, yeah during you'd, that time. Yeah, you'd expect, wouldn't you? Bruce has been there. He's he's yeah. lived a life. I mean, he said that he came to Britain with ten pounds in his pocket. And after the law lords had finished with him, he had one pound. And it's quite some life that he's had on nine pounds. That was his um, line to 442 magazine. Yeah. And, and as uh, twee as an account as that might be, you can't actually deny it. He's, that's a hell of a hell of a life that he's had there. He's packed a lot in. I'll Especially say that considering that, and this is really where we came in with this, he was the most unlikely goalkeeper for a really, really top football team to have. I mean, the the, the thing to bear in mind here is that I, I was nine, right? So I didn't really understand what I was watching. The way you get into football is very strange, isn't it? You go through this period where you kind of have to learn it. Yeah. And then suddenly, click, it all makes sense. I remember not understanding in the slightest when Spurs played QPR in the FA Cup final that year why both teams were wearing their awaker. It's because there is no God. It didn't even occur to me that it was because, well, neither of these teams were at home. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Either one team wears their home, but either both teams wear their home kit or both teams wear their awaker. It makes perfect sense. But anyway. What have we learned? We've learned that Bruce Grobelar was a Zimbabwean goalkeeper who played 628 times for Liverpool between 1981 and 1994. Are you now going to just recount the entire podcast? He had, a, he, he had a moustache. He'd seen things. He was involved in match-fixing allegations for which he successfully sued the Sun newspaper. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't quite know where I stand on him. There you go. I'm willing to willing to admit and and um and accept that he was at points an outstanding goalkeeper, and like I say, unlike any that I've ever seen. But there are question marks hanging over his life. That I don't think his explanations for them fully cover, and I'm not just talking about the match fixing allegations, though. 
He took a white rhino to centre parks. Actually, no, he didn't do that. <laughs> well, no, he claims, for example, that he played for when he played for Durban City, he was sidelined because he was white in a black team. And the team had previously played in an all-white league. And it's like, I'm, I'm, there's, it makes my head start to spin a bit. And the I don't... labyrinthine ins and outs of sport in apartheid South Africa are, are too too much for us to try and get our heads around. Well, exactly. And he exactly. took a white rhino to centre parks, and which he, he didn't white... do. <laughs> like I say, I don't know what he did and what he didn't do. That's the thing, you know. There you go. There's my ultimate takeaway from yeah. this. Is that he's a man for all ages, a mystery and an, and an enigma. There is something fundamentally enigmatic about him. Yeah, you kind of get the feeling that if he was one of those people that was like a mate of yours, he'd be one of those that was impossible to actually know. Oh, he'd be legendary. You know, but some people are just like that, isn't it? Yeah, we're like, so. do you want to come along? We're taking the white rhino to centre parks with Bruce. Everyone would pile into the Volvo, and it would need to be a Volvo. Yes, it would. It would. Or a transit van, like um, Martin Bryce in Ever Decreasing Circles. You're obsessed. Yep. Anyway, are we done? We are all done. We are We are as done as Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is. I'm just about certain we're done. Um, it's been a pleasure. There you go. Something I've never said on this podcast before. Well. What are you doing? I was just having a drink. I wonder what that noise was. Yeah, I've got a water butt. (laughs) (laughs) I just drink drink water from the roof. Yeah, that's what he said. Right, we'll be back again the same time next week. You can catch me on Twitter at TWOHT. You can find him at 200% podcast. Thanks very much for listening, and goodbye. Yeah.